So being New Year's Day, right, with each of us having literally our whole 2023 ahead of us, I just want us this morning to focus a bit on something that God says about our years ahead and our futures in general. And that is what we just heard in the scripture reading in James 4 and 5. And concerning this passage, especially that first paragraph, this is probably something that you might have heard before if you're familiar with the Bible. You've probably heard this idea that we're supposed to say and think if the Lord wills concerning our futures. And that is true, and that's what the Bible says, and and we will talk about that a lot this morning. But the reason I hope this morning especially will be helpful to us Is because here's what I think can often happen with this idea of if the Lord wills. What can happen is that we know, right, that we're supposed to say and think if the Lord wills. And sometimes, in a good way, people can even make a a habit of saying that or writing that. But then the issue is, what often happens is then we can also start having, viewing, having to say that and think that as sort of a negative thing in our minds. That's sort of a negative thing. And I bring that up because if there's one main thing I hope we all leave here with on this New Year's Day this morning, it's that this idea of if the Lord wills is actually an extremely positive thing. It's, it's a beautiful reality and refreshing breath of fresh air. And here's what I mean if you're a little confused. In short, I think that we can all agree that sometimes we do view this concept of saying, if the Lord wills, and this idea that the future is God's and not ours is something, of course, we should believe. But subtly, when we hear that or say it, we can start to think, man, that means that my plans aren't solid and set in stone. And I wish that they really were. We can start to think, I do really wish I had control, but again, I know I have to admit, if the Lord wills. And so we say somewhat negatively concerning our plans, God's in control if the Lord wills. And honestly, I think it does make sense that we're all like that, because that's natural for us first, because we're just sinners, and so we're negative, and we complain in general a lot. But then also, we're like that because in our sin, we not only want control, but we all do tend to think naturally that we know best. We do tend to think that what would be happiest for us would be to have control of our futures and do what we want. And therefore, again, this idea that the future is God's and and not ours, and that we should acknowledge that, even as Christians, it can sound somewhat negative. (laughs) It can sound like a bad thing. But all that said, that's why, again, the one thing I hope we all leave here this morning after looking at these paragraphs in James is seeing that actually, if the Lord wills, is a very, very positive thing. It is what's good for us, and being able to say that and believe that is a breath of fresh air as we enter 2023. And so that's what we'll be looking at this morning. But all that said, that then brings us to our outline for how we'll go through this passage of Scripture here together. And so as you can heard, as you heard, we had two paragraphs that we're going through here in James. And in in short, each of those paragraphs will be a section this morning. And so we'll have two sections together this morning. And as for what we'll see in these sections, to boil it down first, in the first paragraph there in James 4, we'll basically see how we should view our futures. How we should view our futures. And then second, in the second paragraph in James 5, 7 through 11, we'll then see more specifically how we should view God in our futures. 
And so in summary, that is our outline. First, how we should view our futures. Second, how we should view God in our futures. And in both of them, yes, we'll be looking at how we should view all this in our years to come in 2023. But also what we'll see together this morning, church, will apply to really our whole lives ahead of us. But all that said, let's then begin with our first section. And here again, we're in that paragraph in James 4, 13 through 17. And we're looking at how God's word tells us to view our futures. And for this, we're just going to take this paragraph step by step to see what God's word is saying to us through James. And briefly, though, before we even do read it, just as a warning, though, I do want to say that what we're about to read, in a sense, is strong language in God's word. And it is kind of jarring to us. And that's honestly because we sometimes need jarring. And that was definitely true we know back then because James, as you're about to see, is writing to people who apparently saw their futures as mainly about them and mainly as something that they could control. And that matters though for you and me because often, especially in our technological, advanced, fast-paced age, we often think that way as well, don't we? (laughs) We too can think that our futures are really mainly about us and are in our control. And so it is with that in mind that God in his word in love says we're about to read in the book of James. And so now look down to your Bibles again. We're going to begin just in verses 13 and 14. James 4, 13 and 14. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So notice verse 13 starts with this sage-like appeal from the writer James to come now. And that's, that's inviting us in. And, and sometimes the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament wisdom literature, sometimes the Bible talks like that. Because in short, a phrase like that is the biblical writer saying to us, hey, I know what you're like. I'm like you. And so come now. Let's, let's think about this together. Which then leads James to clarify who he's talking to. And who is it? Well, it's, quote, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And so who is James talking to? Well, in basic, he's talking to people to us who are planning what they'll do in the future. And now on that, most important to notice is that notice in verse 13, nothing actually in what these people say is bad or sinful in itself. It's really interesting. None of it is bad or sinful in itself. And that's significant. I point that out because James could have added one simple word or phrase there in verse 13 into what these people are saying to make what they're saying actually be sinful. Meaning, think about it. James could have written, come now, you who say, today or to tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and make a profit by whatever means necessary. Because that would have been sinful. Or he could have written, come now, you who say, let's go into such and such a town and trade and make a profit by stealing. Right, or any sin like that. And he could have written anything like that. And so you get the point. If James wanted to get across that these people were planning to sin, he could have said so. That could have been obvious. But instead of that, again, it's important to note that nothing actually in what they say in verse 13 is sinful in itself at all. Rather, basically what these people are talking about here is they're planning to 
do what it takes to live life. That's, that's it on the surface. That's the verbs. They're planning to go to a town. They're planning to trade and make a profit. All of which are not sinful. And right away, that then in verse 13 does apply to us because that means in verse 13, the Bible is talking to all of us as we think about our futures. I hope you know the Bible here isn't mainly talking to those who are planning to sin in their future or planning to sin, for example, in certain ways in 2023. Instead, James instead is inviting us in and he's saying, look, you who plan to live and do life, And especially he's saying, look, you who plan to live and do life without even really thinking about God. (laughs) Which then leads to what James writes in verse 14. As a reminder, look down again at verse 14. So we're planning to live life, not necessarily in explicit sin, but also without really mentioning God. Which leads James to say, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And now the bluntness of that does show us that James was writing to people back then again who probably did have some strong sense of self-sufficiency and pride and feeling of control as they were thinking about their futures. And it must have been so bad that he needed, he needed, that he thought he needed to say this. But on that, to be honest, again, so do all of us to some degree, right? All of us have pride and self-sufficiency. That's just the human condition now as fallen people. Because think about it. If sin by definition is forgetting God and downplaying God and wanting nothing to do with God and instead putting ourselves in the center, then think about it. What would sin do in us when we think about our futures? Well, often what it would do as sinners is we just kind of think of our futures and our lives without really thinking about God. And so this is all of us, brothers and sisters. This is all of us to some degree. But then the question is, so what's the antidote to that? Well, yes, obviously it's thinking about God concerning our futures, and we will get to that. And yet, before we even get to looking at God, notice the Bible's first antidote here is actually properly understanding who we are. (laughs) Properly understanding who we are. Because that's the flow of this paragraph. We're over here planning, not necessarily planning to sin, but also not really thinking about God. And so the Bible comes in and it says straight up, hey, you don't even know what the future will bring. (laughs) What even is your life? You're like a, a mist that appears for a little time and it's gone. And that's humbling, isn't it? (laughs) But also, we all know it's true. (laughs) We all know that. Life is so fleeting. People come and go. We all just tend to think in our own minds that we're so important. But all we have to do is look around or even just look at history. Because sure, there might be a few handfuls of people that we know by name and some detail about in history. But even concerning them, we barely think about them. And then even more important than that, we know that there are literally billions and billions of people, not only alive right now, but who have existed and have basically been forgotten about by the world. And so the truth is, from the Bible, yes, but also from experience, we know we are like a mist. We've all seen mist, and actually it was fitting. Yesterday there was a huge mist here in Connecticut, and and that's a good picture of it because the mist is there, maybe for a morning, but it's gone. And that's us. 
We appear for a little time, and yes, to be clear, for that little time, we do matter to God. And for us, saved by grace through faith in Jesus, God deeply loves us, and and we can live for his glory. But still, our lives are only a little mist here, and then we vanish. And the point is, concerning thinking about our futures, church, we need to know that. It is good for us to think about that because it's true. It's a right perspective and thinking that way will change how we live. We don't know the future. We are not that big, not that permanent, not that central. But that said, do you know who does know the future and who is big and permanent and central? Well, the living God. Which now, all that said, leads us properly into the famous Verse 15. And so we shouldn't presume to plan like we are in control. We're fleeting. We're not that big or permanent. But that's why James says this in verse 15. Look at your Bibles. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now again, that is both humbling and encouraging at the same time. (laughs) It's humbling because the Bible does not say, if I will. Right? That is never the case. I hope you know that. And honestly, just thinking that when you really break it down is kind of silly. Because there are millions upon millions of things in our world and in our lives that we don't have control of. There are millions of things in 2023 and just the first upcoming week of 2023 that we don't have control of. It is a lie that the world consistently tells us that we have so much control and willpower. And so it is not if I will. We don't have control like we think. But who does? God. And again, that is humbling if we want to be God, which is the essence of sin. We want it to be about us. We want to have the control. But, brothers and sisters, if we realize that we don't have control, that we can't control things, and if we realize that even if we could control things, we wouldn't know what's best anyways then what happens here in verse 15 is this becomes extremely encouraging. (laughs) Because God does. The Lord does. Meaning, the Lord Jesus does. Because remember, Jesus is Lord. And so, if the Lord wills, is saying, Jesus knows best, and Jesus is in control of my future. (laughs) And that's then why this phrase, if the Lord wills, is such a positive thing. Such a positive thing. Why it's such a breath of fresh air. And honestly, personally, this is why I chose to teach on this on this New Year's Day. Because personally, I just a week or so ago finished a newer book that was written on this whole book of James by this author and pastor, David Gibson, named Radically Whole. And overall, it's a pretty good book. But particularly, the author's one chapter on James 4 here actually did change my view on what James is saying here a lot. Because I'll be honest, I often read what James is saying here, mainly as James just saying what's right. And he's correcting, and that's because of his tone here. But Gibson, to begin his whole chapter explaining this idea of if the Lord wills, he writes this, quote, I want this chapter to be comforting and life-giving as we see ourselves in God's hands, end quote. And reading that a couple weeks ago, and especially reading that idea of this being comforting and life-giving, seeing ourselves in God's hands, right away I realized, wow, that's just not how I think of the phrase, if the Lord wills. (laughs) 
But if I, if, if we started to see it more that way, it does all of a sudden become so freeing. Because really, to summarize everything that we've talked about so far, we can, we can even push further into this analogy of holding the future in hands. Holding the future in hands. Because if verses 13 and 14, what they're basically saying, James is saying that your life, your future is not in your hands. And again, we all know that deep down. The future isn't in our hands. And that is true. But sadly, I do think that's the main emphasis that we usually hear when we use this phrase, if the Lord wills. We only or mainly think the future's not in my hands. But the point is, actually, that's not all or mainly that the Bible is saying here. Rather, the comforting and life-giving thing is that, yes, our futures are not in our hands, church. Our futures are not in our hands. 2023 is not in your hands. But also, once we realize that our hands are empty and that we can't grasp our futures, it's not as if our futures are floating around in some vast chaos of uncertainty. (laughs) Instead, our futures are in God's hands. (laughs) He's grasped them. He's got us. And that honestly, to me this week, and, and I pray to you this morning, it became so, so comforting. Because I don't, I don't know what 2023 will bring. I don't know what even my life for the future will bring, and, and neither do you. Right? I'm not in control, and I'm in way less control than I think sometimes. The future's not in my hands. But again, the Bible calls us to think and say, if the Lord wills, because I hope you know the future is in God's hands. It really is. And I know this is a point, right, where we know that. We know that that's true and right theology, that God's in control. But I hope you might, even more so this morning, feel the, the beauty of that. Because as for us, again, we are a mist. We are fleeting. But God's in control of the mist. <laughs> and especially for those of us in Christ, we can know God has shown his love for me. He is so for me. And he's got my future. That is the underlying reality that James is getting at here. And that's why this passage is convicting absolutely. But if this passage is convicting to us, if we're wounded here, it's only so that we may be further healed and whole. (laughs) Which finally, though, leads us to how James finishes this paragraph. So look down now, verses 16 and 17. As it is, you boast in your arrogance... All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So now here again, we do see who James is writing to. And these are people who see their futures with such arrogance. He's writing to people who essentially really don't want God to be God. And that's why he ends here with those strong words about evil and right and failing to do it and sin. Because the idea, just bluntly from God's word here, is you as a creature should know. We all should know that our lives are really if the Lord wills. But if you decide to put yourself in the place of God and fail to acknowledge that God is God, it's not only hurtful for you, but it is wrong. It is sin. Because it's essentially trying to take the place of God which honestly should be a warning for all of us. And so that's this paragraph here. And that's what James is getting at with this idea of if the Lord wills. And for us, that's why we, yes, we ought to think, but it's also why we should really have the privilege of thinking if the Lord wills. Because applying this now, before we move on most clearly, just to you or in my life, really, if you're struggling with this, just really ask yourself, 
who else would I rather actually be in total control of 2023 or in total control of my whole life to come? Would I really want myself to be in control? I know how unstable I am, right? Would you really want others to be in control? We know how others just totally let us down. Would you want chance or luck to be the one that's in control? No, of course not. No one does. And that's why relying on any of those things will always ultimately lead to instability, uncertainty, fear, and especially it will lead to this feeling that you need to control and prove yourself by what you do in the future. But in a relationship with God, with the living God, it is different. Because again, if the Lord wills means he's got the future. It means he's good and in control. It means that we are secure in Christ. And so our futures are in good hands because God's got them. So that's James 4. But that now leads us to the next paragraph we're covering in James 5. And we're skipping forward a little bit here in James. But, uh, but the reason we're doing so is because this paragraph also talks about the future. But also because this paragraph, as you'll see, really starts to show how we should view all of this and God positively. And you'll see what I mean. So we're now in James 5, verses 7 through 11. And here again, we're, remember, we're specifically seeing how we should view God in our futures. And we can put it like that because if the emphasis of James 4 was how, how we're in God's hands and, and the futures are not ours, now here there are some applications that apply to us. We'll talk about them. But they're really a result of who God is and what he'll do for us and trusting in him. And so verses 7 through 11. And for this, we're just going to read the whole paragraph to start. And then we'll come back and see two things this means about God and what they mean for us. But first, look down at your Bibles, verses 7 through 11. James continues. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So on this paragraph, there's a lot in there, but I do think when you boil it down, there's two things all this shows us about God and two things they mean for us. I'm going to take these in pairs with something about God and us and then something about us and God. And so first, concerning, to be, concerning God to begin, especially as we're looking at how we should view God in our futures, well, ask yourself after hearing that, what concerning God does James talk about here all the time in this paragraph, especially to begin well, it's, well, it's interesting because as you can see, the main thing that James talks about in this paragraph concerning God is that God, that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Verse 7, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Again, in verse 8, you also be patient, be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then finally, he repeats the idea again in a different way in verse 9 saying, behold, the judge is standing at the door. And for us then, that's the first thing we should consider here about God concerning our futures. And now that may sound strange, right? To say that concerning our futures, we should think about God coming back. 
but it, but it makes more sense and is a lot more helpful than we may at first think. Because if you think about it, what this truth and what this language is showing us is that in basic, the God who is in control of our lives, as we just saw in James 4, he isn't only in control of our futures in our lives. Instead, he's also, I hope you know, in control of all of world history as well. <laughs> Meaning he's not just up there controlling our little mist-like lives, but also he's made it clear he is going to come back one day and bring all of history to its final climax too. <laughs> and so that's God. But now what does that mean for us? Well, as you saw in what James says over and over, it means for us that we should be patient. Patient on this, knowing that is God is coming back. And to explain that, James does use, you heard that analogy of the farmer waiting for his fruit, being patient until the fruit of the earth comes. And so the idea clearly is God is coming back. And so for all of us and what we're doing in our futures, we should look for that, wait for that, like a farmer patiently waiting for his fruit. And finally on that though, before we do move on, th this is, and this is where the positive part of all of this really starts to come out. It's fascinating in God's word here that notice, the farmer doesn't just wait for his fruit here according to James, but technically James writes, the farmer wakes, waits for the precious fruit. The precious fruit. You can see that in verse 7. And I think that's very purposeful. Every word in God's word is purposeful. Because in the analogy then, that means that concerning our lives and our being patient and our waiting for God to come back, yes, we may go through a lot of hard things in our lives. And, and yes, we, we may not have things go the way we wished all the time. But bringing in this idea of preciousness means that yet when we look to God, we should not only think, I trust what the Lord will do with my life. We should. But we should also think, and God is coming back. And when he does, there are precious things to come. <laughs> That's our future in Christ. There is a precious world that is soon to be restored, brothers and sisters. There are precious relationships that will be made right again. And there is the precious presence of God. All that soon, when the Lord comes back, we get to be a part of. And therefore, James's point is knowing that we're to look to God in our futures and be patient. Knowing that, yes, he controls our lives, James 4, but also knowing that we need to keep in mind that he will, Jesus will, when he decides, he will come back and bring all of this preciousness to come to fruition. <laughs> and so that's the first prayer here about God and about us. But that then on this passage leads us to one final thing about us and God and our futures. And now for this, with all that said, now look again at just the final verse of our passage in James 11. So we're going to read this one last, or James 5 verse 11. So read this one last time, James 5 verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So we don't have time to recount, right, the whole story of Job in a lot of detail. But as you probably know, the, the story of Job is a story where this man Job went through a lot of suffering. And he eventually learned through it to, to trust God more and to be patient. Even though, again, what he went through was extremely difficult and dark. And so that's Job. But concerning James's use of Job here, 
What's most interesting is that notice James does say that Job was steadfast. And that makes sense because Job persevered and he was patient. But also, what else does James say about Job and about any other person who was steadfast like him? Well, see it for yourself in verse 11. James says, quote, Behold, we consider those people blessed. Blessed. And now, especially if you read this in virginal language, that is stunning. Because that Greek verb there for to consider blessed, to be clear, it's just the Greek verb that can also be translated to consider happy. And so James clearly is saying, being patient and trusting in God for our futures, even in such suffering, is the way to true happiness. It is a way to deep blessedness. And now how can that be? Because right, that's, a, that's a big claim. And so how can James use this idea of blessedness when he's talking about being patient in suffering? Well, think about it. James's point, therefore, is that no matter how bleak things are, and, 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 and no matter how, how difficult they may really be, and, and as a side note, things may really be difficult for you right now. They might have been really hard in 2022. They might look to be really hard in 2023. And to be clear, the Bible is not saying here that that's easy or anything. But still, James's point is that no matter how hard things are, what truly is best for us, what is most blessed, what is most happy, if you think about it in a sense, well, it isn't thinking things are chaotic. That wouldn't be the happiest. It is not thinking that you have control, nor is it putting evil on God and blaming God. Instead, just think about it with me. Really, the most blessed way for us as human beings in this fallen world to live is to trust God. <laughs> to know that He knows best. To rely on Him and be patient. That's why we consider those blessed to remain steadfast. Because we all know the beauty of those type of people who in whatever they're going through, we're able to still say, if the Lord wills, and to truly trust in the Lord. Because again, just to bring this home to you and I, to make this clear, really just think about it. What other options in our lives do we have for true happiness, especially when we're going through suffering? What other, what other option do we have? And really, this is the sort of thing to start thinking about when we start just immediately saying to the Bible, man, this doesn't make sense. Suffering isn't blessed. Job's story wasn't blessed. Because we might say that that doesn't make sense. Job's, Job's story wasn't blessed. Suffering isn't blessed. And I do want to be clear that the Bible is clear that suffering in itself isn't ever blessed. It wasn't for Job. And suffering wasn't easy or happy for our Lord Jesus. And it isn't for us. And so, yes, suffering in itself isn't happy, but what the Bible is saying here is that what is blessed, again, what is best for us in our lives and concerning our suffering is having God. It is looking to God and trusting in God. Because think about it, when people don't have Christ and are going through pain, and if we only were to believe in chance, or if we only were to mainly trust in ourselves or in other people, or if we only were to put our hope in things like better government or having more money or being able to do better things with our skills or whatever it may be, if that's all we have, 
Just think about it, especially in suffering. That is what's more miserable. (laughs) That's what's more uncertain, more unhappy. And so instead of that, the Bible's real point is that being patient in whatever you're going through and having God in control of our future in your life is what's blessed. But not only that, but finally on this passage, that's us and our true blessedness. But now concerning God here. Why is it blessed, though, to have God according to just verse 11 here? Well, it's because, and bring this full circle now, it's because the God that Job trusted in, the God that we trust in, yes, he is huge and big and in control, but also know how James, especially in this section where he's been kind of firm, knows how he ends in verse 11. Instead of all of this, James decides to finally write about how, quote, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. And I do hope you know that. God is big and powerful and in control of our future if the Lord wills. And also, He is compassionate and merciful. And that is why, brothers and sisters, having Him, trusting Him for our futures in our suffering is most blessed. And so that's our passage, church. And I do hope that changes, therefore, how we see what's coming up in 2023 and our futures in general. general. Because again, we, we don't know what our futures will bring for our lives, for our world. And on that, though, let me just say as we come to a close that if you are the type of person who is here and you hear all that and you just kind of react and say, no, I hear you, but I want to be in control. Or you just react and say, no, you know what? I actually believe it's all chaos. Then yes, the Bible, to be blunt, is saying here that technically thinking like that is arrogance. It is sin and it is not good and it is not true. And so one last time, if you are here and you are just prone to view 2023, your life just in general, mainly with self-reliance or trusting in what you can do or just in chaos, then this text is convicting. And so I do hope if you're sitting there kind of feeling that, that you turn from that for God's glory and for your own good. But again, church, I hope you see just turning from that is not the point of this passage. Instead, the breath of fresh air is that God really does have our futures. And bringing this to Jesus and his cross also as we come to close. Let's also remember, brothers and sisters, that as we look at our futures in 2023 to come, we can be certain that God has our futures, that all this about God and Jesus is true, not only because James here writes about it, but really because in history, he came, Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection to prove it. And so if you're struggling with this, I hope you know that the same God who came in love and went to the cross and died for our sins, He's the one who now reigns and loves us and is in control of our futures. And so really, we can be certain because the Bible writes about it and because Jesus in the gospel proves it, that God is really in control and He's for us. And that's true as we live coming up in 2023, which all then... One last thing for this morning, just give me two more minutes. That all then does bring us quickly to our Bible reading plan as well. To our Bible reading plan. Because I do just want to show that all this can really stir us to read the Bible as well as a church more in 2023. Because if you think about it, basically everything we've seen in God's word is that what's true and best for us concerning our futures is to see God more in our futures, right? To see our our futures as God-centered and not as chaotic or us-centered. Which does bring us to Bible reading... Because I hope you're here and you resonate with what we're talking about. That you want to view God more in your future in 2023. And therefore, though, do you know what helps a ton with being able to think more about God like that? Or better yet, do you know what fuels us as God's people to have more of a God-centered vision? 
Well, reading God's word. Right? Reading God's word. And this should make sense because if arrogance is downplaying God and putting us in the center, you know what will help us turn more to God and put God more in the center? Well, hearing from God <laughs> more consistently in his word. And that's not a reason why we're doing this Bible reading plan in 2023. Also, that we may all more consistently put God in the center he deserves for his glory, yes, but also for our benefit. And so really, I know we've said this over and over, but on this Bible reading plan, I do encourage you to sign up. Even if you think it's not possible, even if you think you might back out, there's no guilt or pressure necessarily to finish. So we'd love for you to sign up and just try it this year, 2023. But all that said, that's James 4 and 5 Church. And on this New Year's Day, one last time, I just do pray for all of us that we look at our years ahead, our lives ahead, with this God-Jesus-centered vision. Because yes, one last time, our futures are not in our hands. But God is real. He loves his people. He's proven it in Jesus. He's compassionate and merciful. And he's in control. And that's why I hope you now feel it and see it. That it truly is blessedness. There's a deep happiness and it's a breath of fresh air to be able to be people who look at our years ahead and our lives ahead and say, if the Lord wills. <laughs> Amen. Now let's pray.